scripture reading this morning is John chapter 15, verses 12 to 17. You can find that on page 902 if you're using one of the blue Bibles in the chair in front of you. John 15, beginning at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Well, the theme of friendship is found at the heart of some of our favorite stories. So we find it with, in Harry Potter with Harry, Ron and Hermione. We find it in Toy Story with Woody and Buzz Lightyear. We find it in the famous comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes. We find it with the March Sisters in Little Women. And we find it in Lord of the Rings with Merry and Pippin, Legolas and Gimli, and of course, Sam and Frodo. Uh, One of the most beloved stories about friendship is the film Stand By Me. It's the story of 12, sorry, four 12-year-old boys who set off on an adventure together. And then there's that great line at the end of the film where the main character, he's reflecting back on his childhood. And he says, I never had any friends later on like the ones I had when I was 12. Does anybody? And it's such a great line because that's how a lot of us feel, isn't it? You know, maybe you had that friend that you you always hung out with every day after school. You know, you practically lived in each other's houses. They were more like a brother or a sister than a friend. You know, many of us look back on our childhood and we think, I never had any friends later on like the ones I had when I was 12. We love stories about friendship. They capture something beautiful about life. But more than that, they also touch upon a deep longing in our own hearts. So think about those great stories of friendship. There's honesty sacrifice, laughter, support, humility, forgiveness, commitment, loyalty. We catch glimpses of friendships that are deep and meaningful and intimate and wonderful. And something in us says, I want a friendship like that. You know, I want a, I want a companion like Samwise Gamgee. I, I want a sister like Joe March. Yeah, I want friends like Ron and Hermione. I want someone who will stand by me to infinity and beyond. <laughs> but I wonder, do, do you have friends like that? D- do you even have one friend like that? You know, thanks to our technological age, communication's never been so easy and convenient, has it? We can contact one another instant, instantly via text, email, or phone call. We can even see each other on our screens. We can send pictures and movies, calendar requests and evites. Staying in touch has never been so easy. Even so, loneliness and isolation are more rampant than ever. 
Uh, so there are all these studies coming out now about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. And researchers are concluding that we're facing an epidemic of loneliness like we've never faced before. And the cost of loneliness is extremely high. Loneliness is linked to serious physical and emotional problems, including depression and anxiety, heart disease, substance abuse. Uh, to put it bluntly, lonely people don't live very long. What does this tell us? Well, it tells us people are literally dying for friendship. And that includes people in the church. That includes people in this very room. Yes, we have ample acquaintances, hundreds of Facebook friends, scores of Twitter followers. But do we have any real friends? I think Paul Tripp is onto something when he says this. He says, we live in interwoven networks of terminally casual relationships. We live with the delusion that we know one another, but we really don't. We call our easygoing, self-protective, protective, and often theologically platitudinous conversations fellowship. But they seldom ever reach the, the threshold of true fellowship. We know cold demographic details about one another, married or single, type of job, number of kids, general location of housing, etc. But we know little about the struggle of faith that is waged every day behind well-maintained personal boundaries. One of the things that still shocks me in counseling, even after all these years, is how little I often know about people I have counted as true friends. I can't tell you how many times in talking with friends who've come to me for help that I've been hit with details of difficulty and struggle far beyond anything I would have predicted. Now listen to this, privatism is not just practiced by the lonely unbeliever, it's rampant in the church as well. Can you relate to any of that, brothers and sisters? Do those words describe your experience? Now we might ask, why is this the case? And I think there are many reasons. One reason is technology. So for all of its benefits, and there are many, it seems like technology has often hindered our friendships so for many of us, our gadgets have taken the place of deeper communion with other human beings. That's partly why we're doing an equipping class on using technology wisely. Another reason we lack friendships is transience. You know, we live in a very transient area, don't we? People come and go all the time. It's difficult to build friendships. Some of us have invested heavily in friendships, but then our friends move away. They get a new job, they move somewhere cheaper, they want to live closer to family, they join another church. And when this has happened time and time again, it makes us weary. I mean, why invest in another friendship if they're eventually going to leave too? Another reason I think is busyness. Many of us are just too busy for deep, meaningful friendships between work and hobbies and family and house projects and school. There's not really much time or energy left to build friendships. I think men in particular struggle in this area. I know I do. I mean, yet we have our, our buddies and our bros or our mates, as I would say. But many of us lack deep, intimate friendships. And I think that's partly because we buy into unhelpful stereotypes of what it means to be a man. You know, the great poet John Donne said that no man is an island, but we disagree, don't we? 
We think real men are self-sufficient. Real men don't need the help and support and care of other men. Real men don't share their struggles or their failures or their heart. And I think a lot of us guys have bought into that rubbish. And that's why we don't have, we don't have any real friends. I think one final reason we lack friendships is, is just sin. We're just too selfish. And friendship requires too much commitment and sacrifice. Or we're just too deceitful. You know, we like to keep our sin in the dark. We don't want anybody knowing about our marriage problems or spending habits or anger issues. Either because it's just too shameful or because really we just don't want to change. Either way, we keep people at a distance. Let me ask you again, do you have any, any friends? So brothers, is there another guy in your life that truly knows you and, and you know him? Sisters, you have women in your life who know your struggles, who speak truth into your life, who you can rely on. Can you think of one person in your life where there's mutual delight and encouragement and honesty and, and comfort and love? Now, that's a big introduction, too big really, but I want to I really press home this issue because our passage this morning is all about friendship. So the word friend appears in verse 13 verse 14, verse 15. Jesus talks about our friendships with one another, what we might call our, our horizontal relationships. So in verses 12 and 13, Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. In verse 17, he says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. But Jesus also talks about our friendship with him, what we might call our vertical friendship. So in verses 14 to 15, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master's doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. So this is great, isn't it? I mean, how relevant to our lives. But here's the problem. When Jesus uses the word friend here, I think it, it loses a lot of its impact on us. Because many of us have an impoverished understanding of friendship. And that's largely because we've never, tru we've never truly experienced it. We've never been a true friend or we've never experienced true friendship from another. So maybe you hear the word friend and you think about a person at church, for example. You know, you know their names, their marital status, you know how many kids they have or don't have. You have a vague idea of what they do for a living. Uh, you've had dinner with them a few times. You've even prayed for one another. And so you think of them as your friend. But if you were honest, your friendship with them is actually quite superficial. Like they have no idea what you're struggling with right now. They don't know what temptations you face. They don't know how hard your marriage is. They don't know, they don't have permission to speak into every area of your life. If you had a major decision to make, you wouldn't even think to get their input. They, they haven't really seen the worst of you. you. You don't know if they'll be there for you through thick and thin. And I think that's what many of our friendships are like. You know, they're pleasant and reasonably enjoyable, but they lack depth and intimacy and commitments. I mean, if we were honest, they're not even that important to us. And so when Jesus calls himself our friend, we think, oh, that's nice. Can't help to have another friend. 
it doesn't astound us. It, it, it doesn't warm our hearts. It doesn't make us want to stand up and leap around and sing for joy, which it should. So here's what I want to do with the rest of our time this morning. I want to think about the kind of friend that Jesus is. And uh, here's what we're going to see. Here's the big idea of today's sermon. Jesus is the perfect friend. Jesus is the perfect friend. And then I want to show how this impacts the way we relate to him and one another. In other words, how does, the, how does our friendship with Jesus, what, what, the, what does the friendship of Jesus mean for our, our vertical friendship with him and in our horizontal friendships with one another? So I've got three points this morning. Jesus is a candid friend, a caring friend, and a constant friend. Candid, caring, constant. Let's start with the first of those. Jesus is a candid friend. What's it mean to be candid? Well, it means to be honest, truthful, open, sincere. It means to let someone in. And that's exactly what Jesus does in John 15, verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. Notice how Jesus makes a distinction here between a slave and a friend, or a servant and a friend, it's the same Greek word. A servant doesn't know what his master is doing. There's, there's distance, there's, there's a lack of intimacy but the relationship between friends is different. Friends are candid with one another. They let one another in. Jesus is, is privy to the secret counsel of God. He's received special revelation from his father. And then he says to his disciples, look, because you're my friends, you have special access to me. I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to tell you everything that my father's told me. We might put it like this, a friend is someone who tells you their secrets. In fact, we, we see a similar thing in Psalm 25, which Seth read earlier. So in verse 14, we read, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. Uh, the Hebrew word for friendship there is the same word for secret counsel. In other words, a, a biblical understanding of friendship involves openness letting one another in, giving another person VIP access to our hearts. Now think about how amazing this is. We have no right to be Jesus' friends. I mean, Jesus is the son of God, the creator, the eternal one, the holy one, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And we are finite creatures, fallen creatures, I mean, the gulf between God and human beings is, is infinitely wide. The fact that we can even know God at all is, is astonishing. To have a relationship with God is beyond our wildest dreams. I mean, if Jesus was content to merely call us his servants, that would be infinitely gracious, wouldn't it? I mean, what an honor to be a servant of King Jesus, to be under his rule and authority. How wonderful. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus is not content to merely call us his servants. He calls us his friends. In other words, Jesus doesn't just want our obedience. He wants our hearts. He doesn't want, just want our allegiance. He wants us. You know, many of you are reading Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. And in that book, he makes a helpful observation. 
He says that the relationship between a king and a servant is what, what we might call a one-way relationship. So the king's the ruler and authority, and the job of the servant is, is to respond in reverence and obedience. However, the relationship with friends is different. It's what we might call a two-way relationship. There's, there's mutuality in that relationship. There's a giving of hearts. There's a, there's a sharing of, of joy and comfort and affections. There's, there's sympathy and, and candor and affections. Sorry, there's sympathy, candor, and communion. That's what Jesus means when he says, I have called you my friends, in verse 15. So let's think about the implications of this. How should this impact the way we relate to Jesus, and how should it impact the way we relate to one another? Well, let's begin with our vertical friendship. Jesus is a friend who lets us in, and he invites us to do the same, to let him in, to be candid with him, truthful, open, honest, sincere. Jonathan Edwards puts it like this. God in Christ allows such little poor creatures as you are to come to him, to love communion with him, and to maintain a communication of love with him. You may go to God and tell him how you love him and open your heart and he will accept of it. He has come down from heaven and has taken upon him the human nature and purpose that he might be near to you and might be, as it were, your companion. Let me ask you, when you pray, who is Jesus to you? The almighty king, the holy judge, the sovereign Lord, the glorious creator? Well, I hope so, because he is all those things. But he's more. He's also your perfect friend. Do you ever think of him like that? Christian, let me encourage you to go to Jesus as your friend. Let him in. Give him VIP access to your heart. As Jonathan Edwards says, tell him how much you love him. Pour out your heart to him. Tell him about your joys and your sorrows and your fears and your hopes. Tell him about your struggles and your temptations and your failures because that's what friends do. That's why we sing that great hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. And how should this impact our horizontal friendships? Well, it means that true friendships are candid. They're open, honest, sincere, truthful. Friends let one another in. They talk to one another about what's on their hearts. They talk about their plans, their struggles, their joys, their sorrows. Do you have a friendship like that? If not, then let me encourage you to make it a priority. To whom could you be a candid friend? Who could you let into your life? You know, this is going to be really hard for some of us. Because when we look around, it can seem like everybody has it all together. And we like to pretend that we've got it all together too. And our default is to just keep up that charade. But the gospel frees us from this kind of game because we haven't got it all together. If we did, Jesus wouldn't have come. So Christian, be a candid friend because that is who Jesus is to you. Secondly, Jesus is a caring friend. 
He is a caring friend. Okay, so maybe you're feeling skeptical at this point. After all, this is King Jesus we're talking about. The Son of God, the righteous judge of all the earth, the one who is holy, 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 high and lifted up, transcendent and glorious. Is he really interested in what's going on in your life? Is he really bothered about your insomnia or your chronic pain or your car problems? Does he really care that you're miserable in your marriage or that you're at the end of your rope with parenting? That you're overwhelmed with your responsibilities, that you're stressed out about the new school year? Does he really care that you're anxious about starting college or you're fed up with your job? or you're bored with your life, or you're depressed, or sad, or lonely? I mean, does Jesus really want to hear about those kind of problems? Well, yes. Because this holy king is also your tender friend. And like all good friends, he cares about the things going on in your life, because he cares about you. Listen to what Jesus says a few verses earlier in verse 9 of chapter 15. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Did Jesus really just say that? As the Father has loved him, him, his only beloved, precious son, as the Father has loved him, so has Jesus loved us, his friends, I mean, isn't that striking? Do you think the father cared about what was going on in Jesus' life? Do you think he cared when Jesus was tired, hungry, grieved, tempted, misunderstood, rejected, abused, betrayed, killed? When Jesus prayed, do you think there was ever a time when his heavenly father was distracted or disinterested or apathetic? Was there ever a moment when his father lacked the desire to help? Well, absolutely not. So in Isaiah 42, the father says that his soul delights in Jesus. The father loves his son with an infinite love. And so feel the impact of what Jesus is saying here in verse 9. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. As the father's soul delights in Jesus, so Jesus' soul delights in his friends. Jesus loves his friends with an infinite love. Seth read something similar earlier in our service, so just cast your eyes on John 17, verse 23. It's probably just on the next page. So Jesus is praying for the unity of his people. But why is he praying that? For what purpose does he want his people to be united in love for one another? And he says there at the end of verse verse 23, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, i.e. his disciples, his friends, even as you loved me. Jesus says that as the father has loved the son, so he has loved us. Again, mind-blowing. Christian, try and let this sink in. Jesus is telling us something that actually seems too good to be true. The mutual, infinite love that exists within the Trinity has been extended, poured out, lavished on us. Isn't that wonderful? 
Here's what this means practically. When you bring your burdens to Jesus, he's not apathetic. He isn't distracted. He isn't bored. He hasn't got better things to do. He's not fed up with you. He's not reluctant to help because the infinite love of the triune God has been extended to you. This is what makes Jesus the perfect friend. And like all good friends, that means Jesus delights in you. He enjoys spending time with you. He loves hearing your voice. He's interested in your life. After all, isn't that what we would expect in a true friend? Dane Ortland, one more time, he says, here's the promise of the gospel and the message of the whole Bible. In Jesus Christ, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. But how can we be sure of this? Well, we, we can be sure because Jesus has proven his love to us. Look again at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is telling his disciples to lay down their lives for one another. That's the kind of friendship love he's calling them to. And he can call them to that kind of love because that's exactly the kind of friendship love he himself has displayed. Because here's the thing, naturally speaking, we are not Jesus' friends. We're his enemies. Look what Jesus says in verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And that's the problem. We haven't done what Jesus commands us. Jesus commands us to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we haven't done those things, have we? And our failure to obey his commands is what the Bible calls sin. And our sin has alienated us from God. Instead of friendship, there's hostility and enmity. Naturally speaking, Jesus is not our friend. He's our king, and we've rebelled. He's our judge, and we've been found guilty. And that means judgment. But here's the good news. In his great love, Jesus came to rescue us. He came to save us from our sin. He laid down his life for us. He died on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserved. And then he rose from the grave so that we might be made right with God, reconciled to God, no longer his enemies, but now his friends. That's the good news of the Bible. And if we believe that good news, if we trust in Jesus to save us from our sin, then he welcomes us as his friends. If you've never done that before, then let me invite you to do that this morning. I mean, why would you not want a friend like Jesus? Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So let's think about the implications of this. How should this impact the way we relate to Jesus? And how should it impact the way we relate to one another? Again, let's begin with our vertical relationship. Christian, you have a friend in Jesus. A friend that cares about you so much that he would lay down his life for you. A friend who died for you when you were his enemy. A friend who loves you, delights in you, enjoys you, not because you're so great and enjoyable and delightful. Not because you're such a great friend in return, but simply because he's so great. Simply because he is such a great friend. And so, Christian, enjoy this wonderful reality. Rest in this good news. Delight in being Jesus' friend. 
Next time you pray, relish this thought, Jesus, my friend, loves hearing my voice. Next time you read your Bible, ponder this truth. These are the words of my friend, Jesus. You know, one of the greatest joys in life is being in the presence of a friend that truly loves and delights in you, isn't it? And guess what? There's nobody who cares about you more, delights in you more, loves you more than Jesus Christ. And what about our horizontal friendships? Well, Jesus tells us in verses 12 to 13, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's the kind of friend that Jesus calls us to be, to love one another the way that he has loved us. In other words, true friendship involves self-sacrificial love. It involves laying down our lives for the good of our companions. What, what would it take for you to be a true friend? Maybe it involves sacrificing your pride, letting someone know what's really going on in your life. Maybe it involves sacrificing your resources or your comfort or your time or your plans or things on your schedule. Maybe it means you don't always get your way. Maybe it means extending forgiveness and absorbing the pain. Maybe it means taking the initiative even when it's difficult. Maybe it means making the investment even when it's costly. Christian, even though it involves sacrifice, be a caring friend because that's who Jesus is to you. Thirdly and lastly, Jesus is a constant friend. He is a constant friend. I love that scene in The Fellowship of the Ring, uh, the movie, not the book, I feel like I need to say that, where Frodo, he gets in the boat and he starts heading towards Mordor, but then Sam, he, he runs after him, he runs into the water, but, but Frodo, he turns around and he says, go back, Sam, I'm, I'm going to Mordor alone. To which Sam replies, of course you are, and I'm going with you. But then Frodo, he pleads, he says, you can't swim, Sam. And he's right, Sam can't swim. But even so, he goes after Frodo and he starts, the deeper in he gets, the more he starts to sink. And next minute he ends up underneath the water and you think it's over. But then at the last minute, Frodo reaches in and he pulls him out, he pulls him into the boat and they're both breathing heavily. Sam's covered in water and they're looking at each other in the eye. And Sam says, I made a promise, Mr. Frodo, I made a promise. Don't leave him, Samwise Gamgee. And I don't mean to. I don't mean to. And he never does. A true friend is a constant friend. They stick with you. They don't abandon you. They're loyal, devoted, steadfast. You know, we've, we've all had that friend, haven't we, who tragically let us down. They weren't there for us when it really mattered. They deserted us for someone else. They dropped us like we didn't matter. You know, some of us have... Have you even done that to others? I know I have. In the book of Proverbs, constancy is the first feature of friendship. So a couple of examples, Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother's born for adversity. A fair-weather friend is not a true friend, 
Which raises the question, what kind of friend is Jesus? Is he a faithful friend or a fickle friend? Yes, Jesus might be here for me today, but how do I know he'll be there for me tomorrow? Will he be there for me when I start my new school? Will he be there for me when the baby arrives? Will Jesus be there for me if I lose my job or my spouse or my health? Will he be there for me as I enter this new season? Will Jesus be there for me if I really mess up? Will he be there for me as the devil accuses me before the Father? Will he be there for me if my worst fears actually come true? Will Jesus be there for me when I finally face death? Maybe even now life isn't going so well. And so you're wondering whether Jesus is currently there for you. It might even feel like he's abandoned you. Maybe you've cried out to Jesus, but your prayers have been met with silence. Maybe you've asked for help, but so far no help has come. Is Jesus really your constant friend? Well, I think this is why it's really important to remember the cross, isn't it? So think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as he faced the cross, anticipating the wrath of God for our sin the gospel writers tell us that he became greatly distressed and troubled. His soul was very sorrowful, even to death. He experienced unimaginable agony, so much so that his sweat became like great drops of blood. He cried out, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. In other words, if there's another way for sinners to be made right with you, where I don't have to suffer the wrath of God for their sin, let it be so. You know, if there was ever a moment when Jesus was gonna abandon us, it was then. If there was ever a time when Jesus was gonna let us down, it was then. But since there was no other way to save sinners, Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. And he endured the cross. He absorbed the wrath of God. All this when we were still his enemies. That's the kind of friend Jesus is. Nothing could make him abandon ship. Nothing could make him throw in the towel. Christian, if Jesus carried your sins to the cross, he ain't gonna give up on you now. He's not gonna give up on you tomorrow. That's why he ascended to heaven, so that he could send his spirit to live in you. So that wherever you go, the spirit of Christ, your perfect friend, might be in you and with you. He'll never leave or forsake you. He's with us always to the very end of the age. So one last time, let's think about the implications of this. How should this impact the way we relate to Jesus and how should it impact the way we relate to one another? Again, let's begin with our vertical friendship. Jesus is our constant friend. So this should motivate us to cling to him. There will be times when Jesus seems distant and we'll be tempted to think that he's forsaken us. During those times, cling to Jesus in faith, knowing that he will hold you fast. He's not a fickle friend. In fact, he knows what it's like to be betrayed and abandoned by fickle friends. Do you really think he'd do that to you? There'll be other times when temptation to sin is strong would be tempted to betray Jesus for sin. During those times, ask yourself, how can I betray Jesus, my friend? 
How can I forsake the one who will never forsake me? There'll be other times when we do fall into sin. And you wonder, have I blown it? I mean, no other friend would give me this many chances. Is Jesus really going to forgive me this time? Christian, no matter how many times you betray Jesus, he'll never throw in the towel. He promises us whenever we turn back to him in repentance, he'll always welcome us with open arms. It's his joy to do so. And finally, what about our horizontal friendships? Well, if Jesus is a constant friend to us, then we should seek to be constant friends to one another. A true friend is loyal, present, steadfast. A true friend is there for you in the good times and the bad. A true friend seeks forgiveness and reconciliation. A true friend is in it for the long haul. Are you that kind of friend? I do think the transient nature of our area makes this more difficult, doesn't it? You know, some of you have jobs that, that move you on every few years. And so you might wonder, what's the point in investing in friendships when I'm not going to be around for that long? But I do want to encourage you, whether you're here for three years or 30 years, to make friendship a priority. Go all in. Be a faithful, present, constant friend in the place where the Lord has you. But we do have to be realistic. We are going to fail. We will let one another down as friends. There will be times when we are not candid with one another, when we don't sacrificially care for one another, when we're not constantly faithful to one another. And that's because we are not the perfect friend. And so whenever we let one another down as friends, this should point us to the one and only perfect friend, and that's Jesus Christ. We find ourselves in a loneliness epidemic. However, the Bible offers us a cure. It offers us Jesus Christ, a friend who is candid, caring, and constant. The Puritan Richard Sibbs once said, all the kinds and degrees of friendship meet in Christ. In other words, Jesus is the perfect friend, and he calls us to love one another the way that he has loved us. Let's pray for his help to do that. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you that you are the perfect friend. A friend who is candid, caring, and constant. And we thank you that we can know that because of your word. We thank you that we can know that because you have laid down your life for us, even when we were your enemies. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to become more like our Savior, the Lord Jesus, to become a true friend like him. Lord, for those who are feeling lonely and without a friend, we pray that those would find a great comfort from knowing that the Lord Jesus is their friend. Lord, we pray that when our friends let us down, that it would remind us that we do have a perfect friend in the Lord Jesus. And we ask all of these things in his wonderful name. Amen.